So right now in the next few minutes, let's continue what we started yesterday. The 10 God questions every Christ-centered pastor must answer correctly. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak through your servant. Give us information that will become a revelation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday, the first question we tried to answer was the question, where are you? We spoke about the importance of knowing where God wants you to be at every point in your ministry. We spoke about the fact that sometimes greed will take us away from our place of abundance to look for abundance. We also said that every pastor is looking for a good soil, but only few pastors are ready to toil for the good soil because most good soil don't come already prepared. You have to work on it. You have to work hard. You have to clear the tongues. You have to do a lot of work to get the good soil. And then we went on to look at who told you that? Who told you that? And I looked at the seven dangerous people you should never listen to. Because who you listen to determines the information in your head. The information in your head determines your decisions. Your decisions determine your choices. And your choices determine your chances. And your chances will determine your success or failure in ministry. So you have to be very careful who you listen to. Amen. Now, today we'll try to answer two questions quickly before my next speaker come in. The third question every pastor, Christ-centered pastor must answer correctly is the question, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Can someone pick this and put it down somewhere for me? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Genesis 4, 6. Then the Lord God said to, to Cain, why are you angry? Um, ignore the, the statement under it. And the Lord God said to Cain, why are you angry? Now, why was Cain angry? Did anybody offend Cain? No. He just did not do some things right. Didn't get things right in life. And was disappointed. So there are a lot of the most dangerous anger is the anger that was not caused by anybody, and you don't even know why you are angry, but you have this annoyance in you that you carry it everywhere. You are you are you are, you are carrying this annoyance in you, and you carry it everywhere. You feel you are very angry. But you can't trace why you are angry. And so you look for you look for avenues to vent it out. You look for for anything. You just find any place to vent it out. I'm going to show you how dangerous that is. Now, write this statement down. Everybody, write this statement down. Angry pastors are not hungry for success. Because what is making you bitter makes someone better. Angry pastors are not hungry for success. Because what is making you bitter makes someone better. So if you want to become successful in life, 
get hungry, not angry. Because what is making you angry, bitter right now made someone better in ministry. And once you have this understanding, it will help you. I've said I've come from nowhere. I I remember this is, I remember mommy and I worked in this very difficult environment. And one of the things that happened that could have turned to anything was I you know the olden days we were living in the same mission house with a senior colleague of mine and his wife, the mommy and myself. And during those days, we have, if you want to watch a movie, there is a deck. And then you have a tape. Or, you know what tape? Cassette, cassette. And then you slot it in. The cassette was very big, like my head. And the tape, was, the deck was very, very big, like my whole body. So you put it in and you watch. So, after this very good Sunday service, you thought you wanted to relax a little as a pastor. And we're sharing a common hall. It was a general hall. Because we lived in the house with my senior colleague and his family. And me and mommy and my son then. And then there was an adopted son of the distant. And a few guys there. So the hall was a general one. So I put in this deck to watch a movie. It was a Rambo movie. We grew up on Rambo. So I was watching it. And then my senior colleague's wife came in, stopped the deck, took the cassette out, threw it on the ground, and said I was wasting electricity. Anybody would have fought. So my senior colleague was not around, but he was told later. When he came in, the boys who were around told him. So that week, he was very nice to me. And then I was not supposed to preach on that Sunday. And then he gave me the puppet on the Sunday. When I finished preaching, he called me and said, You know, this is your affair. You know why I gave you the puppet? He said, I heard what happened during the week. And I thought you were angry. So I gave you the puppet to hear the content of your sermon. Whether you are going to make some statements against my wife, but I have noticed something about you. And in most cases, it is when I feel something has happened that should offend you, that I give you the most difficult task. And yet you perform it very, very well. Then I told him, my brother, me, I don't get angry. I get hungry. When you despise me, then the hunger to prove you wrong comes. When you offend me, then the hunger to prove you wrong comes. Are you here? I have been at the mercies of people. I remember when I was starting training and development. I went to people, invited them to speak at my conferences. They turned them down. And I wasn't angry that they turned me down. I wasn't angry that they despised me. I wasn't angry that they were there. I saw them, but they said they were not there. I wasn't angry that I went to look for them and waited from morning to evening and they didn't have the time to see me and ask me to come the following week. I wasn't angry, but I became hungry that these people one day, they will look for my platform. 
You understand? The reaction was, the reaction was, I understand them. They have a brand. They have reached a certain level. My platform at the time was too small for them. Now those people, at the end of every year, will call me and say, oh, Bishop, I need to know your programs for me for next year because I'm preparing my calendar. The people I used to pursue that used to turn me down now actually called me to set them on my program. So they are prepare, I'm preparing my calendar for next year. And I want, you to, I want to know how many times you will need me. You, you, you get it? Now, the reason why I've been able to achieve this is because I didn't get angry. I got angry. There are too many angry pastors in town today. You can even see it in their sermons. When they are preaching, you, you sit down, you listen to them and say, what kind of, what kind of <laughs> pastor is this? Why are you so frustrated? Why is everybody bad? What? You see, they carry their anger. Now, Ephesians 4.26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Now, I want, do not let the sun go down whilst you are still angry. Now, I want to show you the eight types of anger that will let you sin. And that will let the sun go down on you. I'll show you. Number one. Number one. Anger driven by disappointed expectations. You got into ministry with a certain expectation. And you just realized that those expectations are not being met. So you are disappointed. So you are angry. You get into a marriage. You, I, 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 a friend of mine had a problem with his wife. And I was called to come and settle the destiny. In our conversation, the wife told me, do you know why your friend is so angry like this? He said, because he had been telling me that when, when I was coming to church and he was seeing me, the way I used to dress, she thought I had money. I thought you had money to support my ministry. And the lady was like, I was buying second-hand clothes, managing it well, and you were assuming I had money. So he got into that marriage with a certain expectation. Now that expectation has not been met. And he's angry. The most dangerous anger that will let you sin is an anger driven by disappointed expectations. When we were entered into ministry, there was no pastor that owned a Benz. At least we didn't know. Remember, we didn't know any pastor that owned a Benz. The only pastor we knew had a driver and was being driven around was the archbishop. But so what took us into ministry was not because you saw a five-star pastor who has built a five-star lifestyle, who has built a five-star church, whose children are traveling up and down, you know, and are doing things. And so you felt like, if I become a pastor, I will also be like that and build a house and do this and do that. You... You see, so your generation, you are seeing the Duncan Williams, you are seeing the Ajansaris, you are seeing the Otabels, you are seeing the Oyedepos, you are seeing, I mean, five stars. But what you did not see is how they started. 
So you will enter into ministry thinking that you will become like them. What you did not see was that out of every one Duncan Williams, there are thousands of pastors in Ashama who cannot even have a place for their congregation to meet. Those, I know, those people, you don't study them. You don't look for them. You don't go and say, brother, how long, how many years have you been running this church here in the classroom in Ashama? For him to tell you, Charlie, I've been here for 20 years with 20 people. One soul, one year. I am now in my early 50s. I have diabetes. I have high blood pressure because of this. My marriage is broken because of this work that I chose to do. My children are so annoyed that they don't even come to church because they felt that pastoring has caused them pain. They see their, their friends whose fathers are doctors and lawyers and engineers and how they live. And they look at their lives as pastor's children and how they are living. You won't look at that, but you see, you look at Jordan Williams, you look at Kevin Titi Affair, you look at, it's all Kevin's program that he did, ready for the master's use. You look at all the pastor's children, and you feel, telling, I'll become a pastor, and one day my children will be like this, and they will do this. And then you start the journey, and you realize that the thing is not as easy as this. You see, it's a very long distance journey. Like a guy wanted me to come to Singapore for a meeting. I said, oh, I'm coming. I'll be in London, then I'll fly. Years ago, I didn't know where Singapore was. Only to get to London, Google the distance, and realize this is a long distance journey. Now, how to tell the person who has arranged the meeting, has advertised the meeting, and was ready for me to come, how to now call the person and say, I'm not ready to fly over 20 hours to come to where you are? was a big challenge. So you may be angry. You may not know why you are angry. I'm just trying to tell you, to show you. It may be coming from disappointed expectation. So all the anger you are showing to your congregation members, your senior pastor, anger is always looking for someone to vent itself on. And usually the people that are very close to you. Now, number two, anger driven by enviousness. In fact, Cain's anger, Cain's anger number one was driven by disappointed expectation, was expecting his offering to go to heaven, it did not go. And then number two was driven by enviousness. He was envious of his brother. He was envious of his brother. In fact, I didn't know how serious enviousness was or is until God started blessing me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when a poor man has no enemy, when God starts blessing you, then you begin to see. You see, enviousness is hating what you like. Because you did not get. So example, two girls, two guys chasing one girl. Guy A says, I like the girl for her color. She's very fair and I like fair colors. 
Then she lose, he loses the girl to Guy B. Do not know why his language will be. Chai. Even the fairness she has is bleach. She's not even nice at all. Now he's beginning to hate what he used to like. There are so many angry pastors whose anger are driven by jealousy. You put something on Facebook. I remember doing outreach in the neighborhood. And then I put something on Facebook. There's somebody go there. There are more souls in the village. Go there. In the villages. Go there. And then he responded by saying, what are you doing? <laughs> you have to go there. <laughs> Why are you sending me? Are you the one who called me? Are you the one who showed me my location? But this is a very angry person on Facebook. You understand? Who told you sinners are only in the villages? And what a person doesn't even know is that until the COVID, I... Every year, I, I used to do cross-country, something we call the Rural Pastor Capacity Building Program. And I go to villages with my team. We travel in the middle of the night to empower pastors to evangelize. Because my concept of evangelism is that it is better for rural pastors who grew up in the rural community to pastor their people than to take an Accra boy and put him in a village and then we miss his Accra, and then he starts complaining. That is my concept. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a general truth. That is my truth. So that's why every year, for instance, we, we bus hundreds of pastors from rural communities to come to Accra. We give them, we bus them, we feed them, we house them, and then we give them clothes and shoes and other things. And they are rural pastors that personally I pay. From my own resources. So if one angry man sitting on Facebook attacking everything we put there, then it's your own problems. And there are pastors like that. So there are some of you here, you're so envious of your senior pastors. You think that your senior pastor's personal wealth should be shared with you. Oh, honestly, you. No, you don't get what you observe. You get what you deserve. Are you here? You don't get what you observe. You get what you deserve. No, when we were young pastors, we used to fall in that trap. Our senior pastor would go to America and go and preach, go to UK and travel. And we are all in expectation of what he's bringing to us. Oh, we are in expectation of what he's bringing to us. We'll be there waiting. When we hear he has landed at dawn, Reverend Moses and I will be in his house. I remember some suit he gave me. Hmm. If mommy has seen that suit, he would have rejected my proposal. But the man comes and he has to give things to many people. And that is a demon. There's a demon that makes associate pastors focus not on what they deserve, but on what they observe. Most senior pastors build their wealth not from the church. But until COVID, my speaking engagement in a year could sponsor 
a one year fee for more than one year fee, two years fee for my children to study abroad. Just my speaking engagement. And what takes me out, why you benefit, you see, listen, there's a difference between pastoring. Pastoring is done in the church, but ministry is done outside the church. You, you understand? Israelaba lives in the north, but his ministry transcends beyond the north. When you go to the north, you see his church. He pastors in the north, but he does ministry around the world. What he is building in the north is what his ministry brings to the north. The wealth, the kind of things he has built in Bolgatanga, the 90% of the money he has put in Bolgatanga did not come from Bolgatanga and did not come from his church. So if you are a pastor in his church and you are envious of his lifestyle, then you are going to drive yourself down and destroy your ministry. Are you here? And having been close to most of these fathers, I know what they do, how they end. And you see, these guys, I was speaking one time at Reverend Easter's conference, and I was telling the pastors, it is not where you work, it is how you work. Adam was working in the Garden of Eden and his boss was God, yet he failed. Joseph was working, working in Potiphar's house and his boss put him in prison, yet he became successful. So it is not where you work, it is how you work. So as a senior pastor, I have many associates around me some will be successful in Pleasant Place Church. Some will fail. Why? It is not where they work. It's not, you don't fail as a pastor because you are working in a certain church. You fail as a pastor because of how you work. So I was telling someone that with what Reverend Isto has done in Bolgatanga, if it's because of his work ethics, if, if he did not resign as a pharmacist, and he took the same work ethics into pharmacy. But now he'll be owning a pharmaceutical manufacturing company. What well, a man is preaching everywhere. The intensity of his preaching. We get amazed at his work habits. You get every afternoon you want to sleep. At the least times you get, you sleep. You are not at midnight praying. You are not following up souls. That virtually you get paid for doing nothing. It is not where you are working, it is how you are working. Because I can talk about Anthony Cuyo, who doesn't have his own church but very successful. I can talk about Bishop Jim Sarr, who doesn't have his own church but very successful. Why? Because of how they work. We can talk about the beauty. Yeah, who is a mega pastor because of work attitude. Are we here? Good. Number three, anger driven by rumors, gossips, and lies. If we're a pastor, you go around listening to everybody and somebody has said this and uh, somebody, we went here 
and we heard somebody saying this about you. Recently, I heard a statement some lady in the church made about my son. And I was told. And I wasn't pleased. I just picked a phone. But my son has a different character in nature. So let's leave it. I said, he is a, he is a, when he hears it, he will not follow up. So let me leave it. But sometimes you can hear things that can trigger the animal in you. And by the time you finish reacting, you start regretting. If the people around you are always telling you things that make you bitter, get them around off your, your circle. Because you need people to tell you things that will make you better. You need to hear good news. It's not all about bad news happening. There are also good news happening. But if they keep coming around you to tell you the bad things they hear about you, mark them down, write them down. I get very, very anxious when you come and do a narration of bad things people have said about me, okay, to you. And I look at, you telling me has taken even 15 minutes. So were you quiet? Now you are summarizing it all. And it's 15 minutes. You are paraphrasing it in 15 minutes. So if the person spoke for 30 minutes, were you quiet? Were you quiet? So how did this, within which context, does this conversation take place? Are you here? Within, within which context did this conversation take place? So you must be very careful those who bring you bad news. And do not be angry simply because somebody has told you one side of a story and the other side you have not heard it. The first to present his case is always right unless another man comes to question him. Now let me tell you something. Once you sit down to listen to somebody's story, you owe the person the responsibility of going to ask the person for a side of the story. And in asking the person for a side of the story, you must tell the person what you heard. If you don't want to explain to me, don't listen to my story. Once you took time and you sat down and you listened, you have formed an opinion. Whether positive or negative, you have formed it. And once you have formed it, don't tell me you don't owe me. You, will not, you don't owe me an explanation. You do. If I go to Reverend Mills, and Reverend Mills tells me something about Pastor Prince, and he tells me in bitterness and in anger. Okay? And then Pastor, I go to Pastor Prince to try to advise him. I should tell Pastor Prince what he told me on which I am standing to provide advice. Because until I hear his side of the story, I do not qualify to provide advice. Because there must be a balanced story to be able to provide advice. So if I know you have my story, but you haven't told me, I become careful. 
Are you here? Once you don't want to tell me, tell the person telling you. If I'm not ready to tell you, I should tell Reverend Mills, don't start because because I'm not ready to mediate. So don't start. But once I listen to you, I must let him hear what you said. Especially if I decide to provide counsel to you. That's the way we kill gossip. I said I was, we, we, when I came to Sprinter's Road first, we had a pastor, pastor's association. And one guy came to my house. There was a wedding. At that time, we were all very poor pastors. So among the poor pastors, I was the rich one. <laughs> and uh, and the, richest, the richest amongst them had a wooden structure as a church. You know. So we used to hold most of the meetings in my church. And then in the wooden structure. And one of the pastors, the uh, member was marrying. So they did their wedding in my wooden structure. Then the Sunday, the next day, I wasn't even expecting the people. The next day is the Sunday, just when we were about to share benediction. The, the couple came to church to greet. Then the Monday, one of the pastors in the team came to me. And he was very bitter. That do you know that this particular pastor on Sunday when these people finished their marriage, instead of going to their when they finished the marriage on Sunday, the Sunday instead of going to their church, they went to this other pastor's church. And the pastor kept them there. And the pastor kept them there. He didn't ask them to go. I said, but they came to pass here shortly. I thought what they were doing was to go from church to church and thank all the pastors that came. He said, no, no. And then he said other things about this other pastor. Just when he was about to leave, this other pastor he was talking about just showed up in my house. I said, pastor, thank you. Please sit down. You to sit down. I said, I'm going to tell him what you said to me. If I leave something out or ask something, correct me. I said everything. Then this other pastor was shocked because the people didn't come to his church. They were not in my church. I said, then hold on. Because the other pastor is offended that they came to your church, according to this man's story. So we sent for the other pastor who came in. And then when the other pastor came in, we narrated the story. If you look at this gossip pastor and say, Me, have you met me after the wedding? We haven't met. So everything you came to me to tell me that the couple went to his church. You came to tell me. When did I call you to tell you this? This guy was. So you see, that was what collapsed the entire pastors' association. Because after that meeting, this one said, we can't trust you. This one said, we can't trust you. And me, myself, I decided that I cannot be amongst a group of people that can formulate stories. So this one was a rumor, was a lie. And if we had not met at that place, we would have gone everywhere. And there are a lot of pastors. I don't know whether because they don't get the chance to preach. So they decide that we want to talk. So, <laughs> let's talk about senior pastors. Let's talk about our colleagues. 
Let's say bad things about people. And then when you hear them, you don't go looking for answers. My wife will tell you, will always tell me, honey, you when you hear something, immediately you want to call for a meeting. I said, yes. Because that's the way you solve problems. That's why I keep long-term relationships. Because once I hear a story that will make me bear a grudge against someone, I immediately want to hear the person's side of the story. So if you are not ready, you cannot tell me something and say, don't ask. Why? Why would you come and tell me something that is making me bitter against someone and tell me, don't ask? What would be your reason? So pastors, watch rumors, watch gossips, and watch lies. Wherever people congregate, there will be rumors, there will be gossips, there will be lies. Watch them. When you sit down to listen to rumors, gossips, and lies, find out. Listen, keep this in the back of your mind. If you listen to somebody's story, and you want to advise the person, tell the person what you heard, and let the person tell you what happened, or else you won't be a good advisor. It's also very important to note that there is a principle called divide and rule. There are people that will spread rumors in ministry, gossips in ministry, because they want to divide a front and rule. So keep that at the back of your mind. Now, there's also anger driven by competition. Anger driven by competition. When you cultivate, and it's the same thing, um, Cain was competing with his brother for offering to God. That was his problem. He was competing. Pastors, listen. Ministry. Eh? Ministry. Some people are running 100 meters. So they will start and finish in seconds. Some are running marathons. They will finish in hours. Some are running hurdles. Please, be in your lane. And run. In ministry, I'm telling you, some people, they are corn. You plant them today, in three months, you will harvest. So you see their fruit. Some are only seeds. You plant them today, it will take you ten years to harvest. You need to know yourself. You need to understand the timing. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Don't let anybody push you to enter into competition with anybody. Don't allow anybody within your congregation to come to you and tell you, oh, tell you, we started this church 10 years ago. Somebody came one year across here and the person is already growing and the person is already exploding. Let me tell you this. When you survive 15 years of ministry, that is where now we believe God has called you. I'm telling you. Now, any church that is less than 10 years and they are, let them pull all the crowd in the world. Wait until they hit the 15 year mark. Then you will see why the person is called or not. You understand? The first 10 years, you are jogging. The five years you are still running. By the 15th year, we'll see whether you have the heart 
to continue to run. So be patient. Don't compete with anybody. Don't fight with anybody. I mean, when God called you, they were not there. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Don't try to preach like someone. When I look into the Bible, what I see is different from what you see. Because of the way all of us have been called. Give the um, Archbishop John 3.16 and he can preach and see Atorus and Ataras inside it. Give the total John 3.16 he will see success and leadership inside it. There is no basis for comparison between the two of them. Each one is called separately and differently. Are you here? Some will become bishops today. Some will become bishops tomorrow. And the exciting thing about, exciting thing about this is eh, the world keeps getting better. Now, those who built chapels 10 years ago are now looking at how they can renovate it to make it look modern. Meanwhile, 10 years ago, when somebody was dedicating his chapel, somebody was there saying, Hey, God, when will it be mine? 10 years later, you are building a sports stadium as a chapel. And the person who built 10 years ago is looking at it and saying, ah, I built mine too early. I should have waited small. Are you here with me? Do you understand? That's how it is. Be in your lane, understand your times, and move according to your times. Don't compete. Now, anger driven by comparison. See, the difference between competition and comparison is this. In competition, you want to catch up with someone. In comparison, you want to draw the person to your level. In competition, somebody is running faster than you. You want to catch the person. In comparison, somebody... You want to push somebody to your level. Because you don't understand why you were caught before the person. And yet the person is doing better than you do. And you feel like if you, you do what the person is doing, they will say you are copying. So let me destroy what the person is doing. In fact, comparison is even more dangerous than competition. Okay? Don't compete with anyone. Don't compare yourself with anyone. Especially, don't let it eat you up. But once it eats you up, you begin to hate the person. I believe that some of, some of us pastors, some of us who are on radio, on TV, and other things that people see us all the time, I believe that people get angry not because you have offended them, but because they compare themselves to us and say, Ah, when did he come? When we were, we, where, was, where was he? Are you here with me? Somebody will be angry and say that we are looking for just one father to, our, to our come to our church. We haven't. Look at the short affair in three days. Look at the number of fathers he has put together for this conference. Who, who does he think he is? Why are you thinking for me? Who do I think I am? Who does he think he is? I'm not thinking I'm anything. I'm thinking I'm a servant of God. I'm thinking I have a unique ministry. I'm thinking I'm pursuing my ministry. I'm thinking the fathers have realized that I'm pursuing my ministry. I'm an honest person. I'm respectful to them. I'm not competing. I'm not comparing. And therefore, they honor me. Finish. 
these things about what, what is he doing? What is somebody doing? <laughs> it will kill you. If you want to die before your time, compare and compete. You will destroy your ministry. Am I helping you here? Am I teaching you something here? So please, when the next speaker arrives, let me know. Anger driven by a sense of entitlement. Anger driven by a sense of entitlement. The last time I was, I was sharing with a, years ago, I was sharing with a, a couple in church, a couples in church. I was, I was teaching them how to manage success in marriage. I was telling them that when you become successful, eh, there are people who immediately begin to feel that they are part of the success. The first will be your parents. That's where they will tell you how they suffered to raise you. And then, the second will be your siblings. Some of them will tell you how mama and papa used to go to town and they used to take care of you. Some will even say how they didn't go to school because they wanted you to go to school. Meanwhile, they were cobolos. But they will tell you, well, because of you, I didn't go to school. So they are shareholders of your success. They are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of shareholders. Yeah, as I stand here, there are some friends of mine who feel, who are, who are bitter against me. Even people who taught me one semester in Bible school. One semester in Bible school feel I'm their son. I should, I should be bringing them tight. And when I meet them in places, they'll just walk past me. They'll tell you, I saw the of he's coming to greet me. I didn't even look at his face. This boy, the way I taught him in Bible school, I said the Bible school was free. I paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you, you get it? So, there are people who have a sense of entitlement. They feel, I'm telling you, I have, I have two of my friends who truly celebrate me, Dr. Mills and Brother Joe. They, they don't, they don't, yeah, Dr. Mills, I was living with Dr. Mills when I was going to Bible school. You know, that's why I was going to Bible school. When he meets me, he calls me bishop. He, some time ago, there was something he was doing. I said, oh, you are my senior, but don't do it. He said, no, 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 you are a bishop. So, it's different. You are a bishop, so it's different now. But there are some friends who today will not even call me bishop. They meet and say, hey, Yofi. Oh, Ole Wadon. Yofi, who name you a BM? Who name you a BM? Yofi, who name you a BM? And they are angry. They are very angry because they have a sense of entitlement that, that I, I owe them something. We grew up together. So if you have money, we must share. Bring something to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know someone who taught me for, for six months in Bible school who felt that who felt that I needed oh, to build a house for him. Oh, and the person is very angry. The person came to me and said, look at me at this age. I don't have a house. And you, my sons, you are not helping me. You like this. Look at what you have here. At least half plot. Half plot. Half plot. Just look at the person. I said, but you taught me in Bible school for six months. And I paid you. Was it, so, when, when, do I become, when did I become your son? 
And do you know the associate pastors who also have a sense of entitlement? Some of you here, you have a sense of entitlement. You feel that because you belong to the church, the church must take off everything of yours. When I went to university, I was passionate in a church. I didn't feel the church should pay my school fees. But if the church was going to pay my school fees, they had to determine what I was going to study. They had to look at their human resource needs and determine that, go and study this and we'll pay your school fees. Once my other colleagues came to me and said, so they didn't pay. They are not supporting you. Even though I was studying theology, they are not supporting you. They didn't pay and wanted me to be bitter. I didn't think that I owed, the church owed me paying my, my school fees. Because they didn't put me in school. I actually, and I was actually using part of the church's time to go to school. And they have had mercy on me. They haven't complained. So I didn't, that's all of you. You are bitter that church is not doing this for you. You are very bitter. They are, they are people who are taught as teachers. And they are more educated, more qualified than you. They have taught as teachers for 30 years. They still live in chamber and hall. And they are managing to put their children in universities. To educate their children. You have been a pastor for two years. You have only a child. I want to live in three bedroom house. One for me, one for my wife, and one for my guests. With two washrooms. And I want a master bedroom. And your salary cannot pay it. But you know why? Because you have a sense of entitlement. That once I develop a lifestyle, the church must be responsible in financing it. Hmm. Dr. J is a pastor in our church and he's a medical doctor. You can ask him. Every member of my family who is sick goes to public hospital. I'll call him. This one is sick. He's coming. I call him, this one is sick, he's coming. Let them treat them dead. So if you feel a member of my church, and you're, you presume, you assume that because your bishop has an university, he's rich. So I go to private hospital and come. Because I'm a member of the church, I'm entitled to the bishop's wealth. You'll be disappointed. Your life will be driven with pain, disappointment, against me when I don't owe you anything. And that's a cancerous situation, it's a cancerous situation. So you need to watch it. The next speaker should be here by now. Okay. So it's a cancerous situation and you need to watch it. Well, you don't have a sense of that. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody. Not even your parents. They don't owe you anything. Build your life. Develop yourself. Build yourself. Grow yourself. It will go well with you. I came here. I didn't go around saying, I'm here and nobody's helping me and nobody's helping me and my wife. Please, can you move this slide? It's, it's on my eyes. When I went to look here, this particular light, I didn't see all the lights. I said this, this one, this one. You see the way it's on my face. Take it up. God can look at it, but let us. Okay, thank you. So do you understand some of the things I'm sharing with you? They are very important. It will change your life. Now, anger driven by offense. 
Anger driven by offense. This one is a dangerous one. Anger driven by offense will also destroy your mind. That's why you must deal with offense. Immediately it comes. When you feel offended, deal with it. Talk to the person. If we're a coward and you can't confront issues nicely and decently, then you will kill yourself. And usually the people you bear grudges against, they don't even know that you are, you are bearing grudges against them. Okay, whilst we are, we are waiting for the next speaker, let me do this fourth question. The fourth question. Please go to the fourth question. Jump everything and go to the fourth question. The fourth question every pastor must answer. Where is your brother? Where is your brother? Genesis 4 verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? His answer was, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> it wasn't just by accident that God gave Cain a brother. He gave, he gave Cain a brother for a reason. In life, eh, you don't walk alone. It's the only thing Liverpool got right. Any other thing is wrong. In life, you never walk alone. I told you a story, I, I think I told my congregation, a story of a guy when I used to pastor a church in Teshin. He was a very popular guy. His nickname was, I walk alone. So one day I asked, I walk alone. Why are you called, I walk alone? He said, because human beings are bad. And if you don't, if you don't associate yourself with human beings, you don't get trouble. Once you start making friends with human beings, you start getting troubles. I didn't believe it. I have never believed that. I believe that there are a lot of good people, very, very good people in life. You just need to discover them. But in most cases, you have to be the good person somebody is looking for. You should not set out looking for, looking for a good person to relate with. You should be the good person somebody is looking for. So if I don't have friends, so I don't know why I don't have friends. It's because you are bad. No, that's the way people see you. People feel, hey, you know, this person is bad. I can't, I can't be a friend to this person. So you have to be a good person. You have to be, you have to be attractive for friendship. Relationship in ministry is very important. Now look at Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. It is when you are going through adversity that you see how important friendship is. Apart from God giving me divine strength and healing when I had COVID, it was friends. Friends. Apart from God and my family, friends who called to encourage me and to pray with me. Because to be in isolation, to be in isolation and you couldn't breathe, I mean, like, you are virtually dying. You are seeing death. You are seeing death. And say, nobody can come to you. Nobody can see you. You only have machines around you. And my wife will come and visit me and will stay far. Even that one, well, because of the two of us, right? they will let us stay far away like that. And I'm sitting here. She's sitting down there. And just talking. And then they will leave. And then the whole day, I'm lying down. And to feel that when doctors are coming to you, they have to cover themselves because you are a gem. You are a virus. You are a virus personified. That's where you see the value of people. That's where you see the value of people. There was this particular nurse that I have to see. I have to appreciate this particular nurse that will come to my room. 
and sit down and chat with me and engage me in the conversation. Suddenly I realized that I was no one without people. And when I, I got people like Bishop Charles, the Archbishop, they calling me to check on me and say, we are praying for you. We are standing with you. We are praying with you. It meant so much. It was, I get calls from these fathers. I get calls from them. They encourage me and all those things. But these calls were different. Because I've gotten to that place. No, you should tell me straight because time is up. Okay, just one minute. So I'll come there and I'll bring him in. So, yeah, worship will go on. It was like so the value of having valuable people around you. They called me all the time to check on me. But this cause what was coming when I was in isolation, when I was helpless, when I was staring at death. That was where I saw the value of having good people around you. To hear that some of my church members, some of my church members, they knew they would not be allowed in, but just came to stand outside, outside the hospital, just came to stand there because their pastor was here. To hear that, it really, and what even touched me was when I was in the ambulance, I was going, I was alone in the ambulance, and I felt so well, even though when was driving, I felt so well. Immediately, the ambulance stopped and they opened, and Charles, my long-time PA, just showed up. I said, Charles, where are you coming from? He said, I was in front of the ambulance. But I couldn't have left them to take you alone. So I joined in. I was sitting in front of the ambulance. I felt like, wow. Immediately, I felt my amount of strength. Those are the things you need. I believe he, Dr. Mills has his family in the U- U.S. But you see, I believe one of the things that gives him, when it comes to Ghana, gives him comfort, gives him confidence to do, is because I'm here. It's simply because I'm here. That's why you must build strategic relationships. That's why you should not easily be offended and just cut off relationships. Sometimes I see people like, look at, and listen, listen to this. I'll end on this one. Choosing strategic relationships. Look at Dr. Mills. I have known Dr. Mills for, for 30 years. Over 30 years. Because I married my wife 29 years this year. And we were about 35 years. I will, it comes to a time where I see people choose, choose today's relationship over yesterday's one. They choose event over history. I'm telling you, they choose event over history. One guy used to work for me. For when I came to school, I came with him. I started to withdraw him from, from his branch because it was not growing to come to the headquarters. Then he decided no because the souls are important so he'll be there. So he's leaving the church. I looked at him and said, are you choosing those people over me? Are you sure that's the choice you want to make? Over all these years, that is the choice you want to make? Are there no souls here? He chose them. I believe that if you have kept the relationship with me, it would have been better. I'm telling you. Some of you are in churches. You talk plenty. You just cut off from people God has planted in your life. You cut off from them. 
and you go. That's the one senior pastor was telling me. And this senior pastor has over 10,000 congregations. He said, do you know one of my sons left me to start a church? And he died over 50 people. He struggled, sigh, he developed diabetes, high blood pressure. After he left for five years old, and he died. Let me tell you something. If you belong to a church of 500 people, and there are five pastors in it, it means that for every congregation member, for every pastor, you are responsible for 100 people. If you are really pastoring well, you will find fulfillment in that. Than to leave and go and start something with 15 people and think that those 15 people belong to you is better. I saw a pastor in this church who kept saying, We don't see miracles. We see, see for this church to grow, we need, we need to see cripples walking. We need to see, and then when you give the chance to lead prayer meetings, you come and stand there. We need miracles for the church to grow. We need, we need, we need this and this to happen. We need this. He's left my church for five years now. No one single dead had been raised. No one single cripple had been raised by him in his church. No, no, no. I'm so waiting. I'm waiting. The day he raises the dead, I'll go and submit to him. I'll go and say, oh, what you were saying was true. I have come, dearly beloved. I'm now your subordinate. <laughs> I am now your subordinate. I'll go and submit to him. So please, keep long-term relationships. Keep respectful relationships. Keep strategic relationships. And make sure Pastor Prince is my son. He runs a fellowship. And sometimes, recently, his program attracted over 30,000 people. 30,000 people. And yet, every Sunday, he's here. And you know, he's not able to come to weekday teaching service. He will come to my house and apologize to me why he can't come to, to weekday teaching service. Because he has a radio program that he goes at midnight. And so, the day, he has to be resting a little. But after Sunday, Daddy, Sunday, dear... But his fellowship is about 30,000 people. The wife called me recently. He said, Daddy, do you know my husband? He does everything you do. He says, hey, my father hasn't said this, so I won't do it this way. I won't do it that way. I have to do it this way. I have to move this way. His recent event, the night before, he would come to my house. He has 30,000 people, though, but he would come to my house, kneel down for me to pray, lay off. Papa, I need your anointing. I need your anointing. I need you to cover me before I go. I just want you to cover me before I go. I need your anointing. I'll pray for him, anoint him. Somebody came from there and said, Hey, do you know your son took the first five minutes to talk about you? The first five minutes to talk about you. So now we just have hundred people and we think we have arrived. He has a lot of resources, but he knows his source. That is that is all. That is all you need to understand. God bless you. Reverend Mills will lead you in a prayer on this topic, and I'll bring in the next speaker.